every time they perform pedophilia, every time they assassinate somebody, every time they commit some kind of horrendous act, every time they explode these horrible weapons in war, they are shattering this third dimension and they are allowing darkness, pulling it, reeling it in from that archonic underworld. They are actually splitting the third dimension and pulling this dark energy in. That's why they do so much of this stuff, because it feeds them. Hey guys, that was my friend and researcher, Sophia Smallstorm. Look, I gotta tell you, as the mainstream horror media covers up still for the old Twitter, which Elon Musk is now exposing by dropping the bomb and dropping the proofs that the government and the DNC specifically interfered in the 2020 election by demanding that accounts be banned on Twitter. Well, of course, the mainstream media is still covering up for all of it. Well, in this one, we're going to focus on the good news, the proof of heaven and Dr. Eben Alexander's near-death experience. And in the second half of the conversation, we focus on how our thoughts shape reality. But as it pertains to Alexander's book, Proof of Heaven, of course the mainstream horror media and the likes of Steve Jobs' wife's The Atlantic would debunk the man's book. Just as they attack those who warn against the mRNA bioweapon with ad hominems like anti-vaxxer, or those who expose the stolen and rigged 2020 and 22 midterm elections as election deniers, well, I guess if you've had a near-death experience and you want to tell the world about it, you're an anti-atheist, which is fine by me, and I'm sure that Dr. Alexander wears such labels with a badge of honor. Friends, before we start, just a quick word about our sponsor. You know, it's almost 2023, and if there's anything 2022 taught us, it's that inflation is here. Things are far more expensive now than they were at the beginning of the year. And we all love holidays, but they're not that great if you can't afford them, are they? But it's not too late to protect yourself. And despite the fact that there's always a risk of loss and past performance is not indicative of future results, thousands of people have retired comfortably with the help of noble gold investments and their precious metal IRAs. If you're one of the people, like me, who believe gold and silver is an excellent hedge against inflation and total collapse, now's the time to act. Talk to an expert member of Noble Gold's team today. And if you get in before the end of this month, you'll get an incredible free 3-ounce Silver American Virtue coin with every qualified IRA of $20,000 or more. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments. So call the team now at 877-646-5347 to find out more or visit noblegoldinvestments.com. The link is below. Hey friends, Sean from SGT Report here. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Guys, I have a really, really important broadcast here and uh, God works in mysterious ways. You know, I just did that interview with James Perloff about his new book, Missing Miracles. And I didn't realize we would be following up that call with similar content or similar subject matter, but we are, and it's thanks to my friend Sophia Smallstorm. She's written two really brilliant newsletters recently. One is actually from February, and I just read it, and I wish I had read it back in February. We're going to talk about that and more on this call. Brilliant Hughes. Do you play that broken record in your mind over and over? Do you beat yourself up every day? you feel like you're alone in this world and God doesn't have your back, friends, the opposite of that is true, as you'll discover on this call. Sophia, welcome. Thank you, Sean. It's so nice to be back with you. And I hope this interview rubs off on you and everyone else. 
Well, your newsletter did, and uh, it's about near-death experiences. One in particular, Dr. Eben Alexander, a Harvard-trained neurosurgeon who, after his near-death experience, literally changed his life. But before we go there, let's start with the brass tacks. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Take no part in the unfruitful works, friends, but instead expose them. Now, what are some of these things we need to expose? Well, there's people in this world that uh, evidently either embrace the duality and choose the dark side, or they don't realize that there's a world beyond this one at all. One of those people, in my view, is Albert Borla, the Pfizer CEO. Another one would be Klaus Schwab. And of course, you've all know a Harari. But how about Dr. Fauci? Rand Paul says this man has caused 7 million people to die. We've caught him red-handed, and he won't get away with it. Now, I don't know what awaits this man, Fauci, in the afterworld. And I don't know that he even cares, Sophia. But uh, before I show the next thing, a piece of video that's deeply disturbing about the dark deeds in this world, what do you make of people like Fauci, Klaus Schwab, Yuval Noah Harari, who says God is a fable and uh, Jesus is fake news and uh, we have no free will? Well, Sean, as we will discuss, when I read this book by Dr. Eben Alexander, the neurosurgeon, there was a section in it that really made me think about where these people are getting their um, fuel, energy, and rewards from, okay? And I am going to get into that just as soon as you let me, because I think these people are plugged into this archonic underworld. And you and I spoke of the CERN, um, that Hadron Collider thing, and what it's doing, possibly. You know, they call it something that, is looking that they're looking for the God particle. But I have a feeling, based on having read Dr. Eben Alexander's book, that it's not that at all. So we'll go there, but when the time is right. All right, let's go there in this conversation. But let me show you some of the darkness of this world. And I want people to think about the brilliant hues of heaven versus the monochromatic hues of hell, the black and white, the duality. But as you guys watch this video, imagine the amount of money and power one would have to build a mansion with this below it. back up. I want to show people just a couple of things. Look at that steel door. I'll back up a little further. It kind of leaves me speechless, Sophia. It's like a bank vault door. I mean, imagine these people that go missing in this country and find themselves waking up on a stage like that where maybe they're sacrificed. I mean, it's insanity. And the rulers of the darkness of this world, this is the stuff in which they're engaged. They really, really need to read your February newsletter. Sophia. Well, Sean, they won't. They might, some of them might listen to this show, some of the lesser um, ranked, lower ranked people. But, you know, we can discuss what this all means when we talk a little more about where Dr. Alexander went, right? Let's well, not keep people in suspense. All right, let's dive right in. So, 
Dr. Eben Alexander was dealt with uh, essentially an E. coli bacterial infection, and uh, E. coli will eat your brain, guys. There's really no way to survive it. Uh, jump in at any time here, Sophia. He wrote a book about his near-death experience called Proof of Heaven. So we'll begin with your newsletter here from February, the bottom of page two, the Gateway Valley. In November 2008, Alexander, once a neurosurgeon and now an author and seeker of the explanations of consciousness, became ill with an extremely rare, aggressive, primitive, and absolutely should have killed me bacterial meningitis. He says he slipped into grand mal seizures, was rushed to the emergency room, and he was in a coma for how long was it? Seven days or 10 days? A week, a week, week. yes. Yeah, and during his coma, Okay, I want to jump in. Go for it. All right. So this is a non-believer, right? He is Harvard-trained neurosurgeon, top of his, um, you know, peer group. Uh, Everybody thinks the world of him. And he goes to the hospital, and they don't know what's wrong with him because he's moaning and groaning. He never feels bad, but he told his wife couldn't go to work. She takes him to the ER. The ER doctor has this suspicion that he's got a massive infection. She draws, does a lumbar puncture and draws out this pus-filled spinal fluid. Cerebrospinal fluid should be clear, clear as water. But no, this is yellow and under pressure. And so they let the family know, you know, he is desperately ill. He has a this horrible infection in his brain. And he they had to almost like tie him down because he was writhing and, and struggling. And he says here, when he was lying in the ER on a ventilator, and we know about those, surrounded by monitors, and the lumbar puncture showed his spinal fluid brimming with pus. Now I'm going to quote him. After two straight hours of guttural animal wails and groaning, I became quiet. Then, out of nowhere, I shouted three words. They were crystal clear and were heard by all the doctors and nurses present, as well as by Holly, my wife, who stood a few paces away, just on the other side of the curtain. God help me! Okay, so I thought that was quite noteworthy, that in his darkest hour, this non-believer calls to the Almighty to save him. That's right. And I want you to read page three here in a second, but let's go to, I think it was the bottom of page four. And I want to read that experience because he was given a glimpse of hell. And only when he cried out, God help me, was he able to get that glimpse of heaven, which is so powerful. So I'm going to scroll down. Oh, here we go. Yeah, the underworld. Before he went, he was kind of unconscious. He was moaning and groaning. And then he screamed, God help me. And then he went out cold. He was completely like, gone into this coma where he was for seven days but in the er they didn't know what where he was going um in this coma so i wanted to explain that the first place he went all right was not any heavenly heavenly arena so he first found himself in a kind of, this is the top of page four, right hand side, mm-hmm. first found himself in a kind of claustrophobic, muddy underworld that echoed with, now try to picture this, everybody close your eyes, muddy underworld that echoed with a deep rhythmic pounding like the sound of metal against metal, as if a giant subterranean blacksmith was pounding an anvil somewhere, pounding it so hard that the sound vibrates through the earth or the mud or wherever it is that you are. I didn't have a body. I was simply there in this place of pulsing, pounding darkness. 
The longer I stayed in this place, the less comfortable I became, feeling like I wasn't really part of this subterranean world at all, but trapped in it. Grotesque animal faces bubbled out of the muck, groaned and screeched, and then were gone again. I heard an occasional dull roar. Sometimes these roars changed to dim, rhythmic chants, chants that were both terrifying and weirdly familiar, as if at some point I'd known and uttered them all myself. So, this feeling just got stronger that he wanted to get out of there, and he writes, The more the faces that bubbled up out of that darkness became ugly and threatening, the rhythmic pounding off in the distance sharpened and intensified as well, became the workbeat for some army of troll-like underground laborers performing some endless, brutally monotonous task. The movement around me was as if reptilian, worm-like creatures were crowding past, occasionally rubbing up against me with their smooth or spiky skins. Then came a dank, fetid smell of biological death, he writes, and he knew he absolutely had to get out of there. And thought, thus the darkness began to break as a pure white light descended, obliterating the pounding, spinning around and around, and generating filaments tinged with gold. So this is when he was rescued by the spiral of white light that came and lifted him up. He was flying upward into a place, he says, that was brilliant, vibrant, ecstatic, stunning, full of lush green meadows and people laughing. This is page five. Millions of butterflies teeming together in what he calls a river of life and color moving through the air. So he says this is like a higher octave, a higher vibration. And he had questions, wonderings, and he said they were answered instantaneously in an explosion of color, light, love, and beauty. So, you know, how do you really describe this in the words that we have? Here, the language we have. This is something he's in, he says, pure consciousness. And in this consciousness, he meets the great Om or Om. He gave it this word, this name, because he said that the vibration sounded like Om, Om. So he said it was just brimming, brimming with light. Yeah, he also said that God, the word God, is comes with baggage and it's way too puny a word it's a human word for what we envision to be the creator and he said it was far too small a word to describe the creator so he came up with om so the world this world he says is a murky little shadow world that world is sharp crisp real with ways of knowing that far transcend our meager little bandwidth in this world in this material world and it's interesting because you also note that we as humans, even though our eyes are a miracle, we only see a million shades out of multiple millions, whereas birds, mm -hmm. fish, and some mammals see all of it. Bees see in the ultraviolet. So it really is the realm of the unseen of this world in which we're trapped. So I want to go back and I want to share his vision of heaven. But before I do that, do you have any comment? Well, you said it, Sean. It's the unseen world, the world that we don't know. And he explains I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of where you want to be, but that our brain is actually a filter. It, our brain is this thing that crunches down, crunches us down into this reality, this third dimension and holds us there. Because if we had available to us as we, you know, jog around 
our lives and get our stuff done, we would never get anything done if all this river of endless love and beautiful souls dancing and angelic voices and all this were at our disposal. What would, why would we go to work? Right. The more and more research many of us do regarding heaven, regarding spiritual warfare, regarding our place on this earth and our purpose here, the more and more we realize and hear other people say, especially those who have had near-death experiences, that our purpose for being here is to love and to be loved and to help others. There is no greater gift and there is no greater purpose than helping others. And I want to rededicate my life to doing that. And honestly, this newsletter is a must read. Can you pick it up from here? We'll read his perception of what heaven is here on page Yes. So a view of a very primitive, coarse, ugly existence. And luckily, it didn't last forever. So he is transitioning out of both our real life and that ugly underworld, which I want to say a few things about in a minute. But he said, well, that was that ugly underworld. Yes, a very primitive, coarse, ugly existence where there was a pounding and the blacksmith's anvils and the droning and moaning and groaning. Um, Luckily, it didn't last forever. I was rescued by a spinning white light, a perfect pure white light with fine white gold filaments that opened up like a rip in the fabric around me into a lovely gateway valley, a perfect ultra-real valley lush with life. I was moving up through it. I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing with millions of other butterflies and lots of souls dancing below us in joy and mirth. And beside me on the butterfly wing, a beautiful girl. Deep in the middle of coma, her message to me was most assuring. And just to recall it now gives me shivers because of the beauty and the joy and the all-encompassing love that was part of it. And she never said a word, this beautiful girl on the butterfly wing, with sparkling blue eyes and high cheekbones, high forehead, wide smile. But her thoughts came straight into my awareness. And these I share with all of you because they are important for all of us. This is the central message. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. There is nothing you can do wrong in that realm. So, you know, Sean, I was wondering about that. I was thinking, okay, in that realm, you can do nothing wrong, or what you have done here is not considered wrong at all in that realm. What do you think? Well, I think our task here on this planet is to learn and then to grow from our mistakes and to try to be better. We can never be as pure as Jesus Christ. The people who have embraced the darkness and signed the contract in this world Well, they've chosen the dark side. They've chosen to party with Lucifer, I guess, represent Lucifer, to do dark deeds, to get paid well for doing so. We all have free will, regardless of what Yuval Noah Harari says. And God has given us that free will. That's why we exist on this planet, to make that choice. And it's a battle, isn't it, Sophia? I mean, we're all sinners, and our job is to grow and learn and to choose good and to try to be good and to try to help others. What do you think? Well, the first place he goes, remember, right on the other side is that, I call it the archonic underworld, with the screaming and the pain and the slimy creatures that slither past him, that there's no color there. It's dense. It's dark. It's ugly. It's roaring. And I think that these um, people that are running our, our affairs here, they are actually connecting to that underworld and they 
That's their first and only connection is down to that. And they're pulling the energy out of that. I think they're physically manipulating the dimension and pulling dark energy. And somebody I interviewed years ago told me this, and then I've heard it from other people as well. Um, Janice Barcelo has written about Jack Parsons, who was one of the creators of, you know, NASA, uh, NASA, JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratories in Pasadena. He worked there. And these guys, Parsons and his his pals, all they did was try to bring in dark energy. And this person I interviewed years ago told me that every time they... They perform pedophilia every time they assassinate somebody, every time they commit some kind of horrendous act, every time they explode these horrible weapons in war, they are shattering this third dimension and they are allowing darkness, pulling it, reeling it in from that arconic underworld. They are actually splitting the third dimension and pulling this dark energy in. That's why they do so much of this stuff, because it feeds them. Yeah. Uh, Lara Logan. Are you familiar with Lara Logan? Yes. I think she's brilliant. And uh, she's now saying the things publicly. She has a bigger platform than I do because she, well, at least until recently, was able to go on Newsmax. She's been on Fox News. And she will recount the evil deeds of these people. And she just said, I believe it was on Newsmax or one of these uh, one of these networks that uh, I think now has banned her, have banned her because of what she said. But she said she was talking to uh, basically a Luciferian or somebody that understood Luciferian principles, somebody who understood child sex trafficking, satanic ritual abuse. And she said, I just don't understand. I understand the evil. I understand the people that want to embrace evil, but I don't understand the children. Why the penchant for wanting to harm, hurt, and kill children? And the person said, because they don't look at the world like you do. Their number one priority is to hurt God. And they believe the best, most effective way of hurting and ultimately harming or killing God, because it's a war against God, is to harm the most innocent, children. So they feel that they've been successful when they harm or murder a child, because thereby they're harming God, they're hurting God, and that's their goal, which then makes me think of Planned Parenthood and how many souls have been lost to this brutal, brutal practice called abortion. And Sean, when they hurt a child, they're hurting all the adults that came before that child. They are hurting the family line. They are hurting everybody. They are taking out a lineage of people when they harm a child and indignify a child. They're indignifying humanity. That's what they feed on. This is my impression. Again, unlike Lara Logan, I don't have access to these people to chat with them, and nor do I really want to. But I'm just stating an impression that I'm getting. So when he was rescued by the spinning white light, he was taken, he said, into this incredible place of angelic vibration You know, he calls it the Gateway Valley, the beautiful realm, where there was joy, mirth, all these souls dancing, swooping orbs of pure golden spiritual beings up above, um, sparkling trails, and these anthems, this crescendo after crescendo of the most beautiful heavenly sound, which he translates as this om, vibratory energy. Yeah. Can you pick it up? Pick it up from right here. And the profound message from the girl riding next to him on the butterfly. Can you pick that up? Okay. So he's called this a 
this is a place more real than all that we call real. So let's just contemplate that. You're sitting or wherever you are, I'm sitting, I've got my newsletter in front of me, I've got a desk, I've got a cup, I've got a computer. And to me, this looks real. But there must be some dimensionality, Sean, that makes where he was more real than real. And we haven't experienced that here. You know, we don't, we don't live in that. This is extra dimensionality. And he says, the profound message from the girl riding next to him on the butterfly wing was crystal clear, unconditional love, infinite love of the creator. And I have to say here, let's remind people of the title of this book, Proof of Heaven. It's widely available. It's quite a fascinating read and an easy read. And I want people to get it. So they, there's, a, I did not reveal any more about this experience he had with the beautiful girl, but I'm just going to say, you got to read the book and you will be pretty uh, blown away. So anyway, the, he said this splendid realm coming through its beyond, beyond earthly music was Om or Om, a beautiful ongoing symph- symphony of angelic vibration. And he says, as he continued upward, he, there was another experience, uh, even higher experience. He said he went into the core. This is page four. Can you do me a favor, though? Can you back up? Just read this paragraph right here. In fact, in that beautiful realm. Yes. Because I love um, the part about the angelic choirs. Yes. In fact, in that beautiful realm, that message was greatly amplified because the joy and mirth in all of these souls down below was fueled by these swooping orbs of pure golden spiritual beings above, leaving sparkling trails and emitting these anthems, crescendo after crescendo of the most beautiful heavenly sound. Those swooping orbs of light above were angelic choirs. Isn't it funny how music, good music, Beautiful yeah. music, orchestral music, operatic music, choir music can move us, can move our souls, even in this realm. Isn't that powerful? And then you juxtapose that against Judas Priest or really dark in some of this heavy metal, the dark, 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 I would call it satanic metal. It just yeah. becomes very clear, not as clear as the experience that uh, the doctor had. But even in this realm, it's very clear that music can inspire and fill our souls with joy. Or it can do the exact opposite. And Sean, how many times have you pulled up to a red light and there's a car next to you and there's some somebody, some teenager usually, or somebody young sitting there and just like rocking out, swaying to this horrific, like rat-a-tat-tat, horrible, horrible rhythms that are so, they're so, they shrink you. They make your body just, you know, shrink. against and away from this and these people are enjoying this is all they know well they've been indoctrinated and brainwashed and one of the culprits and by the way yay is speaking out against this now i don't know if you've been following uh kanye whatever's going on with kanye i'll say this he's speaking a lot of truth as he invokes the name of jesus and jesus christ in so many of these interviews he's been doing because as he will rightly point out one of the biggest culprits of this devilish attack on our young people is the music industry, specifically satanic, I would call it satanic hip hop. So the culprits, the people, the groups, the style of music that's being called out by Kanye is really truly uh, music that is meant to attack our children and our families and God's love by design. 
So, you know, I point to people like um, Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Jay-Z and Beyonce, these are two people that sit atop that. Have you ever looked at Jay-Z's clothing line? It's all well, seeing eye Illuminati literally embracing this dark magic. So I think these people have signed the contract. And that's what Ye is talking about. He says, I didn't sign the blood oath. I didn't sign the contract. So I can speak out about this stuff. Mm. It's very interesting. Anyway, the angelic choirs. <laughs> How do we the get angelic into this? choirs were just a gateway to the core, Sean. He said, the core, which is filled to overflowing with the divine love of an infinite being of compassion and mercy. And he continues in the book, he says, And when I came back, I was still so absolutely awed and shocked by the power of that beautiful being, that deity at the core of all, that for me the word God was too puny a word. Yeah. It was a little human word, and it had baggage, and therefore I refer to that infinite being, infinite loving being as Om. That was the sound he heard in the realm. And you know what I do now, after I read this book, I've decided if I have a disagreement with somebody, instead of like hashing it out with more conversations or emails or whatever, I just, in my mind, I bless them. In my heart and mind, I bless them. And I release them to a, a meeting, a conversation, an encounter with the great arm. They can have a discussion with the great arm instead of me. So it makes me feel a whole lot better. Okay. They yeah. can do what they want, but I release them to meet the great Om, and, and Om can explain it to them. Guys, just a quick break here with a word from our sponsor. Well, 2022 has shown us what might be coming in the future, and it's more inflation and possibly a very, very bad recession. It's time to take action, and despite the fact that any investment can lose money and past performance is no indication of future results, a precious metals IRA using tax-advantaged gold and silver to keep inflation at bay might just be what you need to give yourself protection from financial nightmares. And you'll get a stunning free 3-ounce Silver American Virtue Coin when you open up a qualifying IRA account this month. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments. So call 877-646-5347 to find out more or just visit noblegoldinvestments.com. The link is directly below. Yeah, so, like yeah. So, you know, think about this. Here's a hardcore neurosurgeon and he comes back from a coma and he, first of all, the first few days, he didn't even have speaking skills. He didn't have much going for him and he had to regain all of that. And he starts talking about angelic choirs and souls dancing and this girl on a butterfly wing. And the doctors, you know, he's he knows these doctors in the ER. Everybody in that community in Virginia, this is where it happened, was very concerned about him. And he's surrounded by all kinds of high-level doctors and experts. And he comes out of this coma and he's talking about this stuff. And so these doctors told him, they said, no, 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 no. They said, this is a trick of the dying brain. The brain invented this. And you you did not go to any great place like what you're describing. Um, you act, are actually just reciting something your brain has created to explain where you were. But now I want to tell you what he tells us about consciousness and the brain, right? So the brain, he says, is a collapser, a filter. I mentioned this earlier that he, this is very funny, but I came across this phrase, the polychrome sewage of your cell phone. So we have people 
that are distracted by this other world that has a lot of, you know, powerful qualities that they're getting from the second dimension from looking into their phones. But, you know, he says that in our existence is brain based. It's a physical, physical state. And our brain blocks out or veils that larger cosmic background, just as the sun's light blocks the stars. We can only see what our brain's filter allows through. I'm at the top of page six. The brain, particularly its left side linguistic logical part, that which generates our sense of rationality and the feeling of being a sharply defined ego or self, is a barrier to our higher knowledge and experience. So I finally started to get it. If my brain is a collapser, a filter, something that shrinks down this eternal vastness, light, brilliance at the core of all, right? That's so that I can retain my senses and function here. And my, and I wrote here how it does this rendering must be something that our own particular logic ego self has a role in designing. So, this struck me as being what we usually do here is we rationalize down. We keep to, to explain what's happening to ourselves. We keep, we keep filtering, filtering, filtering to make things linear, make them ha make sense, ha be cause and effect related. So Dr. Alexander had the opposite. He went up. And I say to myself, okay, I should spend less time rationalizing down and more time stretching up towards the divine. Mm -hmm. This is one way to throw off the shackles of the doom, gloom, fear, terror-based world that they're, they're throwing us into all the time. Yeah. So why not just fortify your divinity, you write? Now, yes. when it comes to evil, and I want to ask you about CERN, because you wrote, in search of the God particle breaking the third dimension to get into the arconic underworld from which they're pulling dark energy and harnessing it. Um, did you write arconic? That's a great word. I don't know that I've heard that word before. Arconic. Is that, uh, does that relate to archangels? Archons. It's archons? A, okay. Archon is a term that other people have used. I didn't invent it. But the archons are these dark beings that right. live in this underworld. So I call it the archonic underworld. Got it. Okay. I've heard of archons. Okay. Alexander tells us that evil must exist in our world for us to have free will. Duality must be present for us to have the opportunity to make choices. In his talk, he says, why don't you pick it up? We come into these lives planning so that the difficulties, the hardships, illness, and injury are actually part of our growth. They are the engines that drive the ascendance of our soul. And it's how we relate to these challenges and hardships, how we come to recover love for ourselves. Because I would say that the vast majority of the world's problems are caused because we don't love ourselves enough. And you know, we are... This is a competition world. I mean, they have taught us that our natural cooperation, Sean, they have broken that down into competition. We compete. I mean, little children run foot races at school, and you're supposed to get the best grade in the class, and who scored 100 on the test, and that kind of thing. You know, our parents want us to be the best, or at the best we can be, and that's, if it's not the best best for some parents, that's not good enough. So... Then not only do we exist and are taught to exist in this state of constant competition with each other, the elites further break or, or devolve that state of competition down into conflict. Now we're in conflict with one another. Look how much conflict we live with. Right. 
the whole system is set up that way, though, right? Yeah. Oh, we have to grade on a bell curve. That means the majority of you will be in the middle. You're average. Well, the rising stars down here, the top 10% that really follow the rules and regurgitate the material the best, well, they're going to be the doctors and the lawyers and the people that get to lead this society. Meanwhile, if you're at the bottom of the bell curve, maybe you're a critical thinker and just regurgitating information is not your thing. Well, you're disposed of, but it's all part of the design of this system. People learn differently. People have different gifts, Sophia. So I think this entire Rockefeller system is designed to keep the people who will obey the system, follow the system, who regurgitate best for the system. Those are the people who lead us. I don't know. I mean, I don't think Macron, by the way, who is a Rothschild banker, he's probably not the best and the brightest, even in that bell curve system. I know Trudeau's certainly not, but they handpick these people. Yeah, I make it easy sense? puppets. Yes, yes. Well, let me say one more thing here. I'm babbling. But uh, so Dr. Eben Alexander was a neurosurgeon, Harvard trained. So as I read this paragraph, people should just understand how real this near-death experience was to him because he changed his life. This is what he does now. Proof of heaven. He writes, while beyond my body, I received knowledge about the nature of the universe that was vastly beyond my comprehension. Now that I'm back on earth, it will take me years to understand using my mortal material brain, what I understood so instantly in the brain-free realms of the world beyond. So again, whenever I listen to these interviews with people who have had near-death experiences, every single one of them at some point is moved to tears as they describe the beauty of what they saw in the world beyond this one. And every single one of them changes their lives. Every single one of them does a 180 life change when they come back to this plane of existence. And that's what I think is so inspirational about this type of material, about these Yeah, stories. and I want to add one other thing. You know, here he is lying for seven days a week in this coma with this E. coli eating his brain. And the doctors and specialists around are telling his family that he's, he's not going to survive this. Nobody survives this. No adult survives this kind of E. coli. And if he does, he's going to be a vegetable. So I wrote in this newsletter, how does an adult brain survive after being ravaged by a rare E. coli bacteria that normally feeds only on the brains of newborns? Well, his brain, I believe, was kept in safe mode. You know, that's a technological term, Mm -hmm. safe mode by the great arm. And he had to have this experience and he had to return alive with all his faculties so that he could tell about it because he had the highest of credentials. And when he comes back, Harvard trained, you know, a a non-believer, agnostic or atheistic or whatever, and he goes, I met the, the divine being and I rode with angels and this and that. People are going to listen. So I really think it's remarkable and also incredibly mystical and delightful that his brain was kept in safe mode just for this purpose. That is my theory. As we're talking, I just wanted to Google real quickly. I forget the names of these movies because I would never go see these movies. But uh, now that the theaters are back opened, every now and then, my wife and I like to just see what's in the theaters and maybe go see a movie. Well, recently, because we just passed Halloween... In the month of October, there was nothing in the theaters to see. One of the movies that they made was called Pray for the Devil, P-R-E-Y, the play in words, Pray for the Devil. And just the trailer alone is just so dark and satanic, and it's only rated PG-13. By the way, I think it was produced by Lionsgate, the same people behind those hostile series of movies that I like to say are actually fictional documentaries. 
these people that are kidnapped and tortured and killed in dungeons as portrayed in those movies, hostile, that actually happens in this world. So I want to contrast that kind of material to this scene from a very, very good movie from 2014 starring Greg Kinnear and the wonderful actress that is now starring as Kevin Costner's daughter in Yellowstone. This is a clip from the movie Heaven is for Real. Mommy? Yes, Colton? Did you know I have a sister? Yes, Colton, of course I know you have a sister. I didn't know. You didn't know that Cassie's your sister? No, I have two sisters. You had a baby eye in your tummy, didn't you? I told you I had a baby die in my tummy. She told me she died in your tummy. What does she look like? Like Cassie, but a little smaller, and hair like yours. In heaven, this little girl came up to me, and she wouldn't stop hugging me. What was her name? She didn't have a name. You guys didn't name her. You're right, we didn't, we, uh, we didn't know that she was a she. Are you okay, Mommy? Yeah. a baby sweetheart just a few months before she was God. that's our baby that's our little girl okay. alright I'll pause it there so uh, the movie is about that little boy who had a near death experience and the community comes together and prays and prays and prays and he wasn't expected to live, and he did live, and it's based on a true story. So, Sophia, here's my question for you. It's a rhetorical one. What has a higher vibrational state? A movie like Pray for the Devil, made by Lionsgate? Or the movie I just showed, Heaven is for Real? Which movie evokes a human spirit in a positive way, which in a negative way? I mean, it's just so clear. This is the stuff, by the way, that Ye is speaking out against. Satanism, in Hollywood, in the music industry at the top of our government. So I'll let you comment, but then I want to show one more clip because the next clip is a clip I just played in my interview with James Perloff, and I think it speaks to how much God loves children. So your comments before I play that clip. Well, I don't have to. It's a no-brainer, Sean, right? Right. I mean, pray. Pray is fodder. Pray is meat. Pray is something that, the devil swoops down on and seizes and whatever the devil is, you know, right. it's, it's an energy force that takes this from us. I mean, we are very sacred. And that little boy in that heaven is for real film, it, he acts that out very beautifully. Yeah, he does. Well, yeah. pray for the devil. It also reminds me of these human hunting parties 
that are said to have happened over history. We know it happens. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's happened at the highest echelons of power. Uh, these queens that bathe in the blood of their victims. Um, this is a theme throughout human history. So pray for the devil reminds me of these human hunting parties. Okay, People are preyed upon. They're hunted by these people and by these powers. Uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world. So let me play this clip. I spliced in the body cam footage from the officers. I was able to find this. So it's two different clips. Um, but I want to play this because this is another example of a miracle in my view. And it's an example of how God, the powers of the angelic in the realm unseen, how much they love kids. Listen to this. This is real. This really happened. A mysterious voice led rescuers to find a child who survived for 14 hours in a submerged car. Here's what happened. March 2015, Lynn Jennifer Grossbeck, 25 years old, lost control of her car and landed in the icy Spanish Fork River in Utah. Fourteen hours later, first responders found her 18-month-old daughter, Lily, in her car seat hanging upside down just above the frigid river water. Prior to finding Lily alive, both police officers and firefighters report that they heard an adult voice yelling, help me, from inside the car. They discovered that that voice could not have come from the young mother who likely died from the impact 14 hours previously. The rescuers still can't explain that voice or how that girl survived hanging upside down for 14 hours in freezing temps without being dressed for the cold. Tyler, when you arrived on scene, what did you do? We heard something saying, help us, help us inside. And so it was at that point that we you know, said we have to get in that car now. And, and we all, uh, the four of us, were able to push the car on its side. And that's when I looked inside and was able to see uh, the child infant strapped in the back seat. So you actually heard a voice calling out, help me. Do, do, I mean, do you know who, who that was? You know, at first we didn't know if it was someone inside the car, if it was uh, what that voice was. We, we assumed, or I assumed that it was someone in the car saying, help me. That's why we responded saying, uh, we're trying, we're going to get inside and help you, we're doing the best we can. Uh, and that was just extra motivation and uh, to get inside the car and, and figure out who was in there. Uh, it wasn't until after we flipped it that we saw uh, the mother, uh, who we know now was deceased at the time, and, and the child was in the back seat. And so it wasn't until after the early process and uh, we got together and we all heard the same you know, voice. And Jared, you, you heard that voice as well? Yes, I did. Um... Like Officer Beddoes has said, more than one of us, of the four officers that were there, responded back saying we're here to help. All right. I'll pause it there. Sophia, any thoughts on that? Well, it's very interesting, Sean. I Did the voice say help me or help us? I'm not sure. In the beginning, they were saying help us, right? Clear as a bell, though, a woman's voice. So they thought the woman was still alive in that car. And when they flipped it over, it was clear she had passed probably 14 hours ago. There was no way that voice was coming from the mother, which makes me believe it was either angelic interference or it was the voice of the mother as an angel. Now, I don't know how that happens, but I'm not going to question the power of God and his love for children because that baby was saved. Yeah, and there's another very much older story. There was a little girl, her name was something like Jessica, and she fell down a well sure. years and years ago. Remember this? Yeah, I do. And she was about three or four, and she was clinging to the edge of the well with her little chubby hands, and the firefighters had to come and pull her out. 
And um, I don't know why the parents couldn't, but something about her dangling. And, you know, her parents told her afterwards, oh, you're such a brave little girl, wonderful. We were very proud of you that you hung on like that. And she said, I'm just co- going from complete memory. She goes, mommy, mommy, didn't you see all the angels holding my hands? So there were angels apparently holding her up. It wasn't just her strength. And um, this made national news. So I find this all very fascinating. Um, and we have to, this is what we have to believe in, that we support something higher. So instead of collapsing down and trying to make sense of this craziness that goes on around us and all this hidden trafficking and this, uh, you know, this violation of us and others, we have to strive, we have to go upward, Sean. We have to somehow fortify that divinity that we have, practice it. we got to do something on a daily basis. And I don't know if we're going to have time to get into the second newsletter, but there I get into the terrain of how to how to change the way we think and believe so that we improve our outcomes. Do we have time? Well, let's touch on it because I think it's important. And again, so many of us play broken records over and over and over in our minds. And it's a form of brainwashing that does not allow us to be our best version of ourselves. So maybe you've gone through pain or trauma as a child. Perhaps you made a terrible mistake. Uh, You cheated on your wife. You got a divorce. Something worse. Maybe you had an abortion. You know, that clip I just played about essentially the angels protecting that little girl in the back of that car upside down in a river, calling Mm -hmm. out for help. It really begs the question, what kind of spiritual darkness happens in these abortion mills? Can you even imagine? Can you imagine being an abortion doctor and getting paid to do that? That's your day job. That's what you do every single day. Have you ever heard interviews with these people? They sound like they're possessed. So it really does beg the question, what is happening in the realm of the seen and the unseen, even in our own world? And as it relates to these broken records that we play over and over, we need to break that programming to become our best selves, don't we? We have to make a very huge decision that we want. We want our outcomes to improve. I mean, everybody's got problems, right? right. And I wrote down the other day, what, what is it that everybody wants? And in a second, half a minute, I wrote down fewer problems, more money, better health, love, freedom. That's it. That's what everybody wants. Some people have a lot of that. They have good health. They have a wonderful spouse and loving family. They feel free. They don't know about all this, you know, contracts and commerce slavery that we're in. And they don't have a lot of problems. But those people are rare. And so most people I know are doing their best to struggle with situations that keep getting unwieldy every now and then and some become really really upside down and they have there's I know some people right now who are in terrible dire straits and I've been trying to help and I've realized Sean that there's a personal component to this to the situations that we are trying to battle through and I learned a lot from Joe Dispenza um he is a you could call him a uh, he's an, he's a neurology expert. Um, he used to be a chiropractor. He was featured in the film, What the, what the Bleep Do We Know? Oh, he, he was. was. I remember yeah, that movie. Yeah. So he Joe, was, he was, he suffered a terrible bike accident at the age of 23. He was hit by a Ford Bronco traveling 55 miles per hour, changed his life. 
Yes, and he they told him in the hospital. He was his practice was in San Diego and I know a chiropractor who they bought and sold uh, practices. I can't remember if Joe sold his or anyway, it doesn't matter. But I know someone who knows Joe personally. And so 1986 during a triathlon, he sustained these horrible injuries, multiple broken vertebrae and severe spinal injuries, and they wanted to implant into his back these Harrington rods. And I know someone who has these rods. Just look at the picture of a Harrington rod surgery. They stick these two metal rods, stainless steel, right inside your body, alongside your spine, and they screw your spine onto these rods, and then you cannot bend. So he was told, this is what you're going to have to have, this Harrington rod surgery. And he told these doctors, no way, not doing this. And then he spent six weeks in bed, and he had to figure out how to heal himself. And he says that he struggled with this. He knew, he knew there was an intelligence, a greater mind running his body. But he had to connect with that greater mind. He had to ask that greater mind to heal him so that he didn't have to be healed by allopathic medicine or attempted healing by allopathic medicine. And he struggled and struggled for weeks to focus on a connection to this greater mind. And he said, you know, I would start to, to, to reconstruct my vertebrae in my mind. He was trying to give this greater mind, this intelligence, a plan. And he said, the next thing I know, I'd start thinking, oh my God, I'm going to live in a wheelchair. Should I sell my house? Should I sell my practice? And he says, I became aware that I kept focusing on what I didn't want to have happen instead of what I wanted to have happen. All right. Mm -hmm. That's the trick, Sean. The more, I mean, I am not, I love you dearly, but the more we focus on the darkness and show each other how terrible it is, the more we are forecasting power into that darkness. And some have said that to me, and I have not understood it, and I just now am beginning to understand that you, you cannot focus on what you don't want, even by contemplating it, thinking how, how could they do this? How terrible it is. Because, you know, I made a very interesting observation. You know how, I don't know, some people don't believe in quantum mechanics, but sure, yeah. one of the crux things in What the Bleep Do We Know, a movie that I saw seven times, those were the days when you could not bring, there was no YouTube, and you couldn't bring recording devices into the theater. You had to take notes. And I went to that thing seven times and took copious notes mm -hmm. and got new information each time. But this Fred Allen Wolf, I think he's the guy, he's a psychiatrist or something in that film, and he says, nothing happens without an observer. That's right. And the double slit experiment, right? Yes. I mm -hmm. mean, they do this with electrons and whatnot, yeah. which no one has seen, but the action of electrons doesn't seem to occur unless somebody is observing. Is observing. No, that's yeah. exactly right. And it's so powerful. Let me just say one thing if we back up a little bit. You know, I don't focus on the gloom and doom by nature. What I'm trying to do is show people that there is good and evil operating in this world. Spiritual warfare is real to help wake people up and bring them over into the Great Awakening. Because as you know, either we're going to get Klaus Schwab's Rothschild Great Reset, which is slave plantation for those of us who survived the Depop plan, being on a slave plantation forever, or it's a Great Awakening where we re-embrace the Creator. 
the love of Jesus Christ, and we rebuild this world in a good way because there's plenty here. There's abundance on this planet. These people on the opposite side who hate us, they focus on artificial scarcity. They want us to believe the world is too crowded. There's overpopulation and human beings are the problem. This uh, Club of Rome crap. There's a lot of people who don't even realize that you, Sophia Smallstorm, are the producer of 9-11 Mysteries, a great documentary that woke me up and contributed to my great awakening after the events of 9-11. So you were very much ahead of your time, and you were showing people the darkness of that day. But I don't take that as a negative. It was a positive in my life and for millions of others who saw that documentary. So that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to wake people up to the fact that spiritual warfare on this planet is real, and in fact, it may be the most real thing there is. It may be the reason we're here, is to choose a side. Choose light or dark. You've got free will. Exactly. I understand what you are doing, and you're doing a very good job. I just don't want you or anyone else to be dreading a future with more of this. because right. that's, So I wrote in this newsletter, September, October 2022, um, that quantum mechanics tells us nothing happens without an observer. So I reason that as we look back at our past and stew or think or reflect on what happened in it, those negative aspects of the past, we are observing those experiences. That's what we're doing. We're observing back into the past. Mm -hmm. So if you, what you're doing is you're actually reliving them as well. So if we worry about similar stuff happening again, or anything that we don't want to have happen, if we start worrying about the future, we are performing the act, Sean, of observing into the future. This just hit me. Yes. You know? No, that's very powerful. Are we going to manifest the darkness by spending too much dreading the evils of this world as opposed to just fighting against them with love and light? Exactly. That's kind of profound. Okay. Thus, we are forecasting those same experiences right into our future. And Joe Dispenza, bless him says, when you're in the present, you're in what's called the generous present moment. He said, this is the sweet spot. It's the only place you can effect change. Mm. So the sweet spot of the present moment, you have to make a new decision. He says, the amplitude of a new decision can override the programming of the past. Because in thinking and reliving these experiences, which is what, I mean, the brain only knows really what is going on in it neurochemically. And once you think about, oh my God, you know, I got fired from such and such job in 1995 and my boss was yelling at me and I was a real, you know, I felt terrible and I didn't have any work for the next six months and I was on unemployment and it was a real strain and I was stressed and blah, blah, blah. If you think about that, it's like you're reliving it and you're just drenching your brain in those same neurochemicals. And that's all your brain is used to. That's what it calls to it for the future. So you have to stop telling the story of your past, even to yourself. And certainly don't keep telling it to other people. Don't keep wallowing in your past experiences and describing them because you're only going to relive them. And when you make a powerful new decision, whatever it is. And there is a book, Sean, I want to guide people to it. I sent you a copy, this book, One with the One, that I sell on my website, avatarproducts.com. That book 
is the story of a woman who had to completely rewire her brain, redo her life, lift herself out of horrific, horrific physical illness and then financial ruin. And she taught me that you have to do this incrementally. I mean, you can picture a huge mansion and a whatever, Mercedes and whatnot, money in the bank. But a lot of people can't hang on to um, go to books and music. Um, on the, yeah, well, a lot of people cannot hang on to, if you scroll down, a lot of people cannot hang on to this sudden, complete reversal of everything that, um, they're in now to a whole new situation that's a whole lot better. They, it's just too much. So the author of this book, Emily Jean Entwistle says, you got to do this incrementally. You, she had a horrendous blood disease, fatal, fatal, that big pharma doesn't even do anything about because so few people have, have it. It's called polycythemia vera. And she had to imagine and expect and wait for incremental improvements in her blood counts. Incremental. And that's what did it. Increments, increments do the trick. So we have to make the decision in the generous present moment to see a different future for ourselves. Be specific if you want to. Be incremental. It's easier. And Dispenza says this is how you get an upgrade. Your whole situation, whether it's a health problem or your, you know, the way that you've been living, you start having synchronicities happening. Some of these people who have biological upgrades, and this is not unheard of, they immediately go into complete remission. Complete. This is called spontaneous remission. They may eradicate literally in moments a horrific cancer. Um, they may, I mean, some of the people who go to Joe Dispenza gatherings and talk about what they've been through are paralyzed and now they're walking. I mean, Jesus just put his hands on people and they could see. And what Dispenza is saying is we have the power to harness, maybe it's what Eben Alexander saw, the divinity in us. We can talk to that divinity that lives in us and wants to help us, and we can call it and say, hey, this is what I need, and we can have this deep faith that it's going to create opportunities for us. It's going to give us an upgrade. Mm. We have, Dispenza says, and this is all proven neuroscientifically, we have a new electromagnetic energy from us. And that's what is the law of attraction, Sean. It's the quality of your electromagnetic energy. So if you, as Emily Jean describes in her book, you have to just patiently wait, keep practicing, keep practicing the connection moment, and you will get it. And that is the title, one with the one. You will feel it. You will feel a click. And Dispenza says, your brain changes. You have connected with the divine, and now you're going to get these upgrades. They're going to come to you naturally. But guess what? You have to be able to teach this to others. He said, if you don't immerse yourself in it, and you don't practice it, and feel it, and call for it, and connect in this way, if you don't do this regularly, you will forget all this. It is so easy to forget that you have this capacity to connect. Hmm. And basically, I'm just going to say one more thing. You are becoming someone else biologically because you are so recreating your neurological wiring. They call them neuronal networks. Mm. 
Your neuronal networks are not going to be steeped in and programmed with all the neurochemicals of fear and and dread and worry. No, no, no. You have to rewire and become different, biologically somebody else. Now, that's the kicker. And that's what most people can't even fathom doing. Yes. And uh, Joe Dispenza on neurological hardwiring of our brains says, quote, if we don't like where we are, we have to rewire our brain. So one of the books here, One with the One by Emily Jean Entwistle. Did Joe Dispenza, has he written a book? Many books. But I will say this. I love Joe, but his books are very thick and they're hard to get through. It's better to go to, if you go to my 2019 blog on aboutthesky.com, I have so many videos of Joe Dispenza and I also have um, videos of, so there's a ton of Joe Dispenza stuff, a ton of it. He says that he, you know, collectively we change everything. When we start to believe these possibilities exist, that you can connect with something much greater than you are. Eben Alexander did it, even though he had to lose consciousness. I don't think you have to go through a horrendous near-death coma and have E. coli eating your brain. We've got to teach ourselves to do this in the present. We've got to do it on a daily basis. Because once you are aware of these possibilities, once you connect, then the consciousness of the collective begins to change. Mm. And this is the problem. We have this reality, they would tell you, the quantum mechanics people and the neuroscience people and the um, spiritual, some of the, you know, progressive spiritual people would say, because we share it all, we believe in it all. And if you, if you can crack, just as those people crack through CERN or whatever, the indignities they're performing on human um, beings, just as they crack into that arconic world, we can stretch up into this divinity and we can connect just try and wait and you'll feel it at some point and then the more you feel it the more you get these upgrades and the more everything around you changes the people will change around you the events will change around you that's how we change the world sean i really think so i do too hey one thing You mentioned uh, some people that you know that are in very dire straits. And the reason I want to go back to that as we round out the conversation is so that my audience can pray for those people. When you mention that, and by the way, I know people that are in dire straits too, and it's for a variety of different reasons. Some people are in dire straits because of a health situation. Maybe we should take a closer look at what's inside that uh, bioweapon masquerading as a vaccine, Dr. Fauci. Uh, Some people are in dire straits because of financial reasons. Some people are there because of spiritual reasons. Some people are there because of all three or more. The people that you described as being in dire straits, how can we pray for them? What's wrong? Why are they in dire straits? I wrote a newsletter about this. One person has had hernia mesh surgery. This is the standard of care to repair hernias today. And hernia repairs with this polypropylene mesh that even DuPont, the first manufacturer, said, don't put this in the human body. What they do, Sean, a hernia, for those who don't know, is when your intestines pop out through your abdominal wall and you get this little bubble that's very painful. And it can be from physical exertion. It can be because you started to cough a lot. You were very sick. People develop hernias in their lives at one point or another. Not everyone, but a bunch of people do. And now they started innovating this mesh repair. They just 
cut a little laparoscopic hole in you and go deep in uh, with some mesh. And it's a giant piece of mesh, giant, Sean. It's like six inches by six inches. Sometimes it's six by nine. And they stuff it in you and spread it all around and mush it right onto your tissues inside. And then your poor body is going, what's this? And it starts to graft itself into this mesh. And my friend, who was a primo triathlete, he had two hernia repairs, inguinal groin hernias, and the mesh grafted onto his femoral artery. And he had to pay all kinds of money to a surgeon to get it out. And they couldn't get it out because they said, we can't cut this mesh off your artery or you'll die. So he now cannot do the activities he was doing. This other woman I know can barely walk. It's been 15 years. She spent all her assets trying to get this mesh out of her. And it's grafted into all these places and impinged on all these organs. So these are the problems that a couple of people I know are having. And um, do- hospitals advertise the mesh. They advertise it. It's very quick. It's easy. So, but, you know, anyone can have any kind of problem. And we have to collectively send our vibrations out in a very high way to specific people we know. And we have to help them see. This is the most important thing, Sean, to help them see how to connect with some kind of divinity in, in their own self to bring these new situations, these opportunities, these spontaneous remissions to them. I like the uh, slogan you have at the top of AboutTheSky.com. Think, while it's still legal, soon they'll be wanting to ban that in addition to free speech when they when they make us all take uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink. Um, yeah. All right. I want to give you the opportunity to plug some products because I know this is how you uh, support yourself. Okay. So see the bed warmers link? Yeah. That's a product. I actually designed that and we're doing our last run. These are wonderful. You put it on your mattress under your fitted sheet and it returns your body heat to you. It's a very fluffy Sherpa fleece. They're totally washable. And mine, the one that I'm using now has been, I've had it for 12 years. So they come in all the bed sizes. You just stick them on in the winter. You will end up being so much warmer at night than you ever were. You can sleep without heat. I do. And so those are, that's a product I would like to draw attention to because it works so well and it will last you a lifetime. And then I just want to show, I know this is kind of strange, but um, go up again, please. I put up, I mean, we have our usual health uh, products that tons of magnesium cream and iodine, those are our best sellers. Um, but if you go to art and prints, I put this page up, Sean, because of right there of what was happening <laughs> with these amazing, uh, digital programs that can create this amazing art in the style of an artist from certain words that you give it. So that's just an example of resolution. This um, didn't work for me. I saw this on your website. Oh, okay. I guess it is. Yeah. So explain you know, what we're seeing here because I mean, seeing, one looks like 100 DPI, the other one looks like 300 DPI. I don't get it. Okay. So if you just go to the page and then I'll show you the resolution again, but just go to the art and prints page and pick the Monet or something. Okay. Pick that Picasso. That's a really good one. Okay. So I 
was shown a program through a friend. And he said, you can pick an artist style. You can tell it anything you want. You can say hyper-realistic. You can say, you know, any kind of color scheme. You can give it words. So I told this program five words. It was Picasso. I wanted the style of Picasso. Sphinx, Desert, Nefertiti, who was an Egyptian queen, and Jules. And in three minutes, it turns out this beautifully composed image with amazing detail and color harmonies. And then I showed my first print that I had done, my first image, I showed it to a friend of mine who has a beautiful art framing store. And he said, you know, I was in the printing business. I have a program that can take a one megabyte file like this and blow it up to a 200 megabyte file. So he did that for me. And I had it printed in San Francisco and I framed it and I have a couple of these hanging in my house. I mean, look at that Van Gogh angelic irises. The detail in that is unbelievable. You cannot give a Van Gogh to anybody. You cannot give a Picasso. You cannot give a Monet. These things cost like $50 million. But these prints that I managed to create, and for some weird reason, Sean, I got beauty out of this program. Hmm. It's really an AI program. Yeah, that's that Botticelli Mermaid. Um, that was created in three minutes from a few words, literally three or four words that I gave it. What program told, is this? It's called Mid Journey. It's explained at the top of the page. Okay. And um, artists are able to use these as launching points for their own paintings because this program was fed for years with millions and millions of bits of data. Artist style throughout the ages. I mean, it's seen photographs. Look at that Monet. Unbelievable. It's put the lilacs. I get told it Monet, lilacs, winding path, lake. It put the lilacs in the lake. But the detail, the color, it's just beautiful. And so many of my friends love these. So I was thinking, you know, these prints are not unaffordable. You can buy them laminated. You can simply frame them or you can put glass on them. But um, that's a Botticelli water fairies in the style of the birth of Venus. It's Tim. just extraordinary. Three minutes, Sean. That's all it takes to make this. This one reminds me of the angels rescuing that little girl upside down in their car in an icy river. I mean, this. how does this this digital art do this? It's cheating, it's, though, isn't it? It's sort of it an is, art cheat. It it's AI. Because I, okay, look. I bought an easel recently. I used to be an art major, and I wanted to start painting, and... I just look at my canvases, my blank canvases, my easel, my brushes, and I go, when am I going to do this? And then look at that Miro. I told it fruit, vibrant colors, Miro, and automobiles. And I think those black things in the fruit are the automobile tires. This <laughs> thing is so creative. But you wow. could have a piece like this just to inspire you. Or I showed it to my art professor friend who went to Cape Cod to paint. And um he is... um he thinks it's fascinating because it's a launching point for him. You can mm -hmm. create these images. That one we told it crop circles, and uh, it doesn't really know what those are. <laughs> um, and I said, a la Van Gogh, um, uh, wheat field with crows, and we threw in sunset. And so it did this very interesting composition. And it just builds the thing right in front of your eyes. So there are a couple that I have hanging in my house, and I'm so excited by them. That's a beautiful poster that I sell with the ener acupuncture energy meridians. But so this is my little art enclave on my website. 
and I'm excited about it. But our our best sellers are always the three types of iodine that we sell: the health page, the laundry powder, the eye friendly LED bulbs, um, the ion for people and pets. That's a wonderful gut regulating product. Magnesium deodorant everybody seems to buy, although you can also use the magnesium spray and just put it on your fingers and use it as a deodorant. So thank you for this exposure. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Guys, I'm not an affiliate with Sophia's website here or anything like that. So if you buy from Sophia's site, you're supporting Sophia, and that really is how she makes her living. So thank you so much for supporting Sophia. And Sophia, thank you so much for your free newsletter. At least it's free to me. How do people sign up to get your newsletter? Here it is. Subscribe to my newsletter, annual donation of 50 bucks. Worth it. Yeah. And people like you, Sean, I just have to crack the whip and make you read it. I'll have to put asterisks. Don't miss this one. Must read. Must read. Wait a minute. You're saying that the newsletter you released in February that I just read today, I'm a little late on that by what, oh, 11 yeah. months? <laughs> I, I'm sure I sent it to you because I thought it was right up your alley and you would like it. Yeah. I was only late by 10 months, Sophia. Come on. Well, that's all right. You're cut busy. A, I cut a brother it. a break. Cut a brother. I, I will. But I will have to put exclamations and, you know, stars and things. And if you want one of those art prints, Sean, I'll send you a a real, you know, takeoff with incredible detail. It's amazing. The brush strokes. You can see all the brush strokes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very, very much. And uh, I'll just remind people the name of this website is aboutthesky.com or sophiasmallstorm.com. It'll get you to the same place. And if you guys want to check out the products, that's avatarproducts.com. Our guest has been the one, the only, the mind behind 9-11 Mysteries. I always like to say that. People don't know it. People forget. Sophia Smallstorm has been our guest. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you, Sean. And Merry Christmas to everybody and Happy New Year. And just remember, my mother always told me, everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. I like it. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. A very special thank you to our subscribe stars and our members at sgtreport.tv. Hey, thanks for keeping us in the fight for truth and real news, guys. And of course, for real news for free every single day. Check us out at both sites of mine, thephaser.com and sgtreport.com. That's the antidote to corporate propaganda and all of those pesky CIA mockingbird mainstream media lies. May God bless you and your family. And yes, Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. I mean, look at the Israeli Supreme Court. It was built by Rothschild, which is fraught with Illuminati symbolism and satanic symbolism right there in the state of Israel. Yeah, and if you walk through the uh, Supreme Court of Israel, you actually walk or trample on the cross of Christ. That's part of the part of the the whole um, manifesto that uh, that they've developed.